as I read this on the screen. Yeah, that's not it. Did I give you guys the wrong passage? Actually, next screen. If you get the next screen, then we'll be in the right spot. Perfect. Luke 10, I'm going to read 25, actually, through 29. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. There you go. Thank you. So we are in this series of Go and Be Church. So the most important activity of our worship services at this time is the part where you walk out the door and carry on what we've been talking about, thinking about here, um, and engage it in your small groups, in your family, in your community, in your neighborhood, at work, etc. And so the first thing we looked at was sending that, that, that image I just described, that we are a people who are sent. God's people are continually pushed out of where they are to the next place where God wants them to go. And a whole lot of that is about understanding that um, God calls us to faith, which is really trust. He calls us to walk with him in such a way that we're always aware and should always be living with this sort of feeling that I'm not quite sure exactly what that next step's going to be, right? And so the sending thing is about trust, about allowing God to push us beyond where we are now into the next place. And then theme two, as Pastor Peter looked at last week, as Jesus walks with us, we looked at the road to Emmaus and how we don't have to bring Jesus somewhere. He's actually already in that place. And our, our real task as we are sent is not to produce the kingdom of God, but to point to it and to look for it and to find where Jesus is already at work. And, and that really applies, I think, when, when we're entering into places um, where we're meeting people who are other than us, and I'll talk a bit more about this later, right? When we're sent there, knowing that even if somebody doesn't officially, formally follow Jesus and proclaim themselves to be a Christ follower or a Christian, Jesus is actually working in that circumstance, in that context as well, right? And so just that sense of peace, God's actually gone ahead of us. Jesus walks with us um, as he sends us. And today we're going to look at simple, but not easy. So... How many of you are aware that I actually already preached on this passage? If you're here present, put up your hand. Awesome, I'll just keep preaching this every week then. There was a pastor who preached a sermon. It was a pretty good sermon. He got good comments on it. But the next week, he preached the exact same sermon, and the congregation thought, well, he's new to us, so we're not sure if we've heard that sermon before or maybe he just made a mistake or I don't know what's going on here but they didn't have enough relationships just to go by the way you already preached that but then the third week came and the pastor preached the exact same sermon the third time so they decided which elder the elders got together and said you ask him and said pastor you preached the same sermon three weeks in a row and he said 
yeah, you didn't do it after the first time, so I thought maybe you didn't understand, so I preached it again. And after the second time, I preached it again. I think I used that sermon illustration here, right? Do you remember that sermon illustration? Yeah? Okay, then I did. And I don't know that because it runs around in my head. And Anyway, so the, I don't think you can over-preach the great commandment, right? I actually probably could spend the rest of my life preaching this passage. It's not going to happen. You're welcome. Um, but this basic truth of the great commandment, which is love God with all you got and love your neighbor, is the core of who we are and what we need to do, right? We need to love. So Jesus is in the dock. I'm going to go through the passage, and then I'm going to kind of hit home how it's simple but not easy. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, God in the Dock, which is Old English for God on Trial. This is Jesus in the dock. So on one occasion, an expert in the law, I'm not sure why they don't, in this translation, just call the person a lawyer, because a lawyer has the word law in their title, and in Greek, this is a nomikos, and nomos is the law, so nomikos is lawyer. So this is a lawyer. That's probably the best way to understand this person, right? And a lawyer is, of course, an expert in the law, and he stood up to test Jesus, right? So if one of you stands up to speak right now, I'm guessing it's going to be a test, right? Feel free not to. I'm just saying that, right? That illustration captures exactly what's going on here. If someone in a public meeting stands up to speak, right, they're probably got something to say they want to challenge something and he's testing jesus he's trying jesus he wants to he wants to see if jesus is the kind of guy that he can follow right so he puts him in the circumstance and you need a fair bit of chutzpah right you need a fair bit of confidence to stand up and test the that's probably obvious every word counts in this sentence teacher so he's an expert in the law with a lot of confidence, enough to stand up in a public forum and ask Jesus a question. And he calls him teacher. Probably he said rabbi, because that would be the, the word for it, right? And that's a term of respect. If you call somebody rabbi, you're going to go follow them, right? This is this not a lightly used word. And yet he's testing him. There's an interesting dynamic going on here that I think we simply need to be aware of that, that he wants to respect Jesus in these words, but at the same time, he's, he's testing him. Then he asks, what must I do to inherit? And inherit, the word really means to receive what is coming to me, right? So what must I do to receive what is coming to me? So what must my child do to receive their inheritance from me? They must be my child, I think, is actually the answer. So it's very striking to me anyways that he asked, what do I have to do? How do I earn that which is already coming to me? And I think that's an important question to, to pause on because I think we do that in church sometimes, right? We understand the concept of grace. That's simple. But living by grace and actually understanding that, that our inheritance is something God has given to us, he guarantees that. It's not something we earn. is, is pretty hard for us to hang on to. We know we've got to do stuff, and it often turns into well, I got to kind of pay God back. I got to make sure that I'm living up to enough to show that what he's giving me is something for worthwhile to give me. All right, and then a question in rightness field. So Jesus, and I, I, I said this last time, I probably said it many times, 
Jesus has an amazing way of working with people who are trying to test him and trick him and, and corner him and all those kinds of things. He responds with questions, right? And someday I'm going to learn to do this too, right? So most of us, if you stand up and challenge us, we want to give you the answer and we're going to push right back, right? That's certainly my natural response. But Jesus teaches us the most fabulous way to deal with difficult conversations. He asks a question right back. And look at the question he asks. This is an expert in the law. And he asks him, well, so what's written in the law? You're the expert in the law. Why don't you tell me what you think? And then he adds the question, how do you read it? What is your interpretation? What's your take on the law? Right? Jesus understands there's a lot of ways you can take words on the paper and translate them and use them and interpret them. And so he says, what's your explanation? What's your summary? How do you understand this law? And the man says, a quick, good answer and then a little bit extra he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. You might have noticed when I was reading that the first time, I stumbled because he actually added something. I happen to know that Karen Christian school kids right now are learning the Shema, the, the Jewish um, from Deuteronomy 5, I think it is. Hear, O Lord, um, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It doesn't say strength in Deuteronomy. And now, of course, I'm supposed to explain to you why Strength is added here, and nobody can, so I can't either, right? I've read all kinds of commentaries, and no one knows why. It, it doesn't really change the overall thing, but usually, if there's extra words in a passage as it's quoted, we should all be going, wait, why did they do that, right? And so, if you've got an idea, I'm willing to hear it, right? But either way, it's all you've got, heart, soul, and mind. Include strength if you want to, right? All those things, or include mind if you want to. All those things count. And love your neighbors yourself. So, this expert in the law, he takes two different passages, by the way. There's one's Leviticus, one's Deuteronomy, right out of the whole Torah. He's probably got the whole thing memorized, by the way. This expert in the law isn't just somebody who's actually read the first five books of the Bible. He's got it memorized, right? So it's, it's at his fingertips. And so when Jesus says, what's the most important thing? He says these two things, and he nails it, right? Jesus says so. Jump down to the bottom where it says 28. You have answered correctly says Jesus. So why are we having this conversation? You know exactly what the answer is. That's orthodoxy, right? I use those two big words up there. I paid a lot of money for my education. I have to prove every once in a while that I know a couple of big words. That's all. Orthodoxy. Ortho, if you have orthotics, they're correcting your, your walk, right? If you have orthodoxy, you have correct words, right? You're, you're proclaiming the correct thing. If you have orthopraxis, you have correct actions and practices, right? And this is where simple to say, but not easy to do, comes in. Because right after saying, you nailed it, Jesus says, now do this and you will live. So I've worked with a number of interns, Pastor Peter right now, and usually some time along the way in our year together, the question will come up, what do I do with what people say to me on the way out of the worship service about my sermon? Right? And then we get into... And I usually just say thank you. Um, but then we get into what do they all mean by all the different things that they say? And then we get to what's the best thing? Listen closely because I'd like you to do this. What's the best thing you can say about a sermon as you're walking to the pastor or by the pastor afterwards? And I'm talking, you know, pre-COVID when I'd stand at the back and shake everyone's hand. What's the best comment you can make about a sermon? Right? The most common one, as you probably know, is that was a really good sermon, thank you, right? 
Or maybe the most common one is to say nothing because you didn't think it was a really good sermon, so you don't want to say thank you. That's okay, too. But a sermon, as I illustrated at the beginning, usually has some sort of activity that you can engage in. And like Jesus, who heard from this guy the ultimate sermon, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself, the actual response to the sermon is, now do this and you will live. So at any point, you can write me, call me, meet me, and say to me, you know, we've been talking about this, and this is what I'm doing. That's the ultimate response. Right? And then I say that because I've lived in this tradition all my life with you, so I know that we often feel like the point of the sermon is whether or not you think I'm doing a good job. And I hope you do think I'm a good, doing a good job because that's the only way it'll be effective. But the point of the sermon is actually what happens when you get out of here. Is there something in this neighboring thing that you can actually do and that you will do, right? And I know what I'm saying is so incredibly simple. I can't imagine everyone came here thinking, oh, the application of the sermon is something I'm supposed to try and do, right? That's not news, it's simple. But you know how hard that is to do, right? I know how hard it is to do. I don't listen to every sermon that I listen to from other people and immediately put it fully into practice. I listen to some sermons and go, that was awesome. I have to do that. And then watch myself a week later and go, oh yeah, I didn't do that. Right? It's simple, but it's not easy. I know you're scared I'm going to bring you up here, aren't you? Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. Let me just change that for all of us. But we want to justify ourselves, don't we? We want to know, are we on the right team, in the right space, doing enough? And so he asked, who is my neighbor? And then the whole wonderful story of the Good Samaritan comes up. The answer was simple. Love God and love your neighbor. Do this and you will live. It's simple, but it's not easy. For example, when my neighbor is someone from a different culture, right? I have learned to own that I have racist or culturalist tendencies, right? I make assumptions about people based on what I see, and it's not just about race, right? Your age, your height, the color of your skin, um, the tone of your voice all tell me stuff which I automatically react to and I have to catch myself, and I have to confess. I don't believe in being racist or judging people based on their culture or any other reason, but I do it. It's not easy, right? It's simple to understand. No one's going to oppose. We should be allowed to be racist. No one's going to stand up and test that. But we struggle with this because we actually automatically make split-second responses based on what we see in front of us, right? And so if you're without thinking, even thinking, okay, I live on a circle, so I've got a whole bunch of people around me, which one am I going to go to first? Chances are I'm going to look for somebody who looks something like me and sounds something like me, and when I first talk to them, they seem to be, right, in cahoots with the way I think. And I have no problem with us starting there, but if we are going to continue the journey of being God's people and building his kingdom, it's going to include those times when someone is from somewhere else with some other kind of story that we might not yet understand, and then loving gets back into what I did say in the spring, which is you got to listen and listen and listen, right? I had a friend um, who's from Sri Lanka, 
and um, he was a, a leader in the church, and so he came to speak one time, and I knew what the comment was going to be, we can't understand him. So I thought I'd help everybody. This is how you understand somebody who speaks with a Sri Lankan accent. Listen harder and keep listening. You'll actually get it, right? You'll just learn that, they're, oh, they're putting different accents on. They, they hit this letter harder than we do, and after a while, it's like talking to people from your own culture. Oh, I hear their English. You know we all speak with an accent, right? Not just other people, right? We all have that accent. We all have to listen hard to understand, right? One small thing of when it's simple, but not necessarily easy. It's simple, but not easy when my neighbor is someone who has offended me. And maybe I can just add right in there, or who I have offended. Both of those are pretty hard. Those are the reconciliation things. When something has gone wrong, our automatic reaction is, I'm going to love that person by staying away from them. I hate to break it to you, that doesn't quite count, right? Love is a relationship kind of thing. It's an entering in kind of things at all times. And so this incredible gift that God gave us, 2 Corinthians 5, the ministry of reconciliation, right? Again, simple concept. It means when there's a brokenness in a relationship, we go in and we find a way to fix it. You've probably tried this, right? You have people in your life it's not easy. It's not easy. We know we need to do it, but it's not easy. That's going to require us to step in and, and maybe learn new tools or, or ask somebody to come and help us or something else so that when there is brokenness in relationships, we're able to heal them and fix them. Do you believe that that's actually possible? Are there people in your life who you've written off because, well, that's broken, that can't be fixed. The gospel tells us this is actually a possible thing. It doesn't say it's easy, it's simple to understand, it's a simple concept, go there and find a way to, to reconnect and forgive and confess, right? But it's a challenge. And so if we have those people in our lives and if we have them right within our church community, those are places we need to go soon because it's pretty hard to do that on your street or even invite somebody on your street to do that with someone else unless you have been willing to go that tough place yourself. Simple, but not easy. It's simple, but not easy when my neighbor is from a different generation than me, right? So um, this is my world. So I'm in my 50s, and those of us in the 50s often have parents somewhere in their 80s, right? And our parents have way too many rules, and they have too many things clear in their life. And then we have children in our 20s, and children in our 20s, of course, have not nearly enough rules, not nearly enough structure in their life, and of course, we're the perfect generation. Okay, that's not how it works. But all of us do that sort of thing where we stand where we stand, and then we look at people who are older or younger, and we say, well, why are they like that? Right? And of course, the answer to figuring out this simple one is to go and talk to them and listen to them, because it is true, people in their 80s, collectively, generally speaking, do have a different pattern of thinking than people in their 50s, who also have a different pattern of thinking of people in their 20s. There's all kinds of studies on this. But that doesn't mean we're not supposed to get along. It doesn't mean that loving them is saying, yeah, yeah, that's just the way they are because they're old, young, or whatever. Loving them means, I'm going to go figure out how that person thinks. And I might even need to accept that I don't actually understand how that person thinks. It's, it's, it can be like that but I'm still going to hang on to them, and I'm going to still love them because they're my neighbor, and it's simple. That's what I'm supposed to do. It's 
simple but not easy when my neighbor holds a different belief than I do. And never mind the people on your street yet on this one. You all know that there's people sitting in this room who have, or sitting in the room where you're watching online, who have a different belief than you do, right? And that's really hard because, especially as a church, we're the people of belief, right? We're the people of truth of the Bible, and that guides our lives. But as you've probably noticed, for some reason, we don't all hold the exact same beliefs about things, right? Sometimes it's quite stunning how we don't hold the same beliefs about things. But the simple command is, love that neighbor, right? And loving them is, again, not putting them off in the corner. That's those people. They sit on that side. We are these people on this side. Loving them is going in and going, can you explain to me how you see that? So you've heard a lot, I think, um, about challenging conversations, which is something we are going to do. I keep pushing it off. I keep building this hype and saying, we're going to do challenging conversations. Now it's going to be in January as, as our, our, our winter thing. So... You're not allowed to cross the border and go to Florida anyways, right? So everyone's staying home this winter. Awesome, thank you. We'll be doing challenging conversations. I feel like I'm building it up and I'm building it up and we're never quite getting there. And I'm not scared of that because it's actually quite awesome. I've been privileged to go through it a couple times already, um, one for our classes meeting. And it's a chance to listen to people in a way that allows them to just be honest with how they see things and allows you to do the same thing. And that's actually the ultimate gift. That's loving your neighbor even when you don't actually hold the same beliefs. And I'm hurt by the fact, because we're doing this for classes for our meeting at the end of the month, that there's, um, there's a few communities that won't send people to the conversation. And I understand the logic of that, because if you believe there's not actually a conversation to have, why would you come to it? But in the name of the fact that we are the body of Christ, even the people who are wrong, whichever side that happens to be, are followers of Christ and people we need to love and embrace, right? And I do believe that that loving of our neighbor, that embracing of each other, let's start with in the body, that's our thing. That's what we gotta be able to do. And if we can't do that, there's a whole lot of people going, why would I join that community? Why would I join that community when I will simply be judged and pushed aside for not thinking exactly like everyone else does? There is a way we can be true to Jesus in the deepest sort of way, and have differences of opinion, right? I wasn't brought up that way. I was brought up that you go to seminary to learn all the right answers so you can tell people to believe them, right? It doesn't work. You don't automatically go, oh, Eric said that, so now I believe that. Jesus invited us to love God fully and to love that neighbor, and that means being able to be in those kind of conversations, even when there's a different belief. Simple, but not easy. And then finally, simple but not easy, when I'd rather just live my own private life, thank you very much. And if you're an introvert, you feel this maybe a little bit stronger. So because I knew I was saying this today, because of course the slides were made on Friday, as I came out my door this morning and got in my vehicle to drive here and saw my neighbor walking his dog, and it's fun watching him walk his dog because his dog is lame, so he carries his dog, that's how he takes his dog. I love that. That makes me want to talk to him, actually. But I was the guy in the parable who's going, I got to go to church, I got to lead this morning, I got things to focus on, right? I have an important task this morning. He said, no, I have to talk to my neighbor. That's my task, right? And so we had, because of the accountability of this community, 
we had a nice conversation and I had my opportunity to come and be here and all was fine. There's all kinds of stuff going on in all of our lives and in all of our minds that will make us go, yeah, I'm not sure I want to enter in, right? Maybe you already know that person's got a lot of stuff going on. If I enter in there, I'm going to be sucked into that thing. And again, I can't tell you, everybody you meet, you have to be full on welcoming them and and engaging in their life. But you do need to pay attention to when is the Spirit calling me to go? When is it my turn? And when will I step out in faith? Right? Because you notice, well, I didn't read the parable, but the parable of the Good Samaritan basically says the person you are least likely to want to be your neighbor and who is probably most different from you, that's the one who's going to be a neighbor to you and you should go and do likewise. Right? And it's not Jesus saying, now you know the answer, everyone go look for a Samaritan, obviously. But it is Jesus saying, this is probably more complicated than you think it is. The instruction is simple, love your neighbor, go be a neighbor. The action requires listening to God, being a person of prayer, taking opportunities as they arise, and seeing how God carries you forward. It's simple. Go be a neighbor each and every one of us, in some way, shape, or form. But it won't be easy. It will call us to step out in faith. Let me pray for you to that end. Jesus, thank you for your call in our lives. Thank you that you moved into our neighborhood, this earth, and hung around with us and touched many lives and showed us how to do that. And now we pray that first and foremost, we'd be able to be honest about the fact that There's a lot of this that's hard for us, but also that we could step out in faith and trust you to guide us that next step for us in being a loving neighbor to those around us. Fill us and guide us, we pray. In your holy name, amen.